For this week, I was wanting to think about my relationship to poetry. Maybe it's capital P poetry is the way to put it. Um, and it's evolved these last 15 years um, since I first started uh, writing and more importantly reading poetry and caught that bug as a freshman at Ball State. Um, you know, I've went through from being a student of poetry um, and the, you know, I overlap a little with like practicing poetry as like some sort of uh, half-tilted uh, artistic profession uh, teaching um, and doing readings and editing magazines and doing and selling books and doing all those uh, kind of adjacent things to the actual act of poetry. Um, and then now to this new part where um, I'm isolated with poetry in some way. So I wanted to kind of delve into all that. Um, but the place to start, oddly enough, is... A trick play and uh, I don't even know if it's a trick play, but a really good play that I saw during a flag football game of all places. Uh, my small cousin, uh, who's six, um, you know, was the center for the, for his flag football team, and he snaps the ball, and the quarterback does this amazing fake, hands it off to the running back, and then curls out as if he still as if the quarterback as if he still has the ball, and the refs, our eyes as spectators, the other team almost all follow the quarterback as the running back with the ball scampered down the field before um, maybe appropriately, I think, tripping over his own feet and um, just shy of a touchdown. But the way that all the adults responded with these big-eyed grins and these looking at each other for affirmation that we all just saw this, and it was this rare moment of adult wonder. I think it's one of the things that is missing most in our society is curiosity and celebration um, as adults and it, without um, insecurity about that. And I realized, thinking about this, that that's what poetry has always been for me. This mechanism for staying curious, for seeking wonder, for being surprised. We... In poetry circles, the term negative capability gets thrown around a lot. Uh, Keats mentioned it in a letter, and it's this idea about being able to exist in uncertainty. And I think from my experience, what contemporary poetry is, has sought to do, and a lot of contemporary wisdom in, the, in various modes um, has attempted to do, is take that one step further and is to teach us and show us how to find joy and bounce uh, even in uncertainty, even in sorrow and difficult moments. Because um, to me, even the saddest poem has a lilt, thanks to the very verve that created it. Um, and that's how I got interested in poetry, and that's what sustains me still at the base level. Um, two of the early experiences um, with contemporary poetry when I was a student at Ball State, um, I randomly kind of wandered into... Um, a student group called the Writers Community, a student group that I would end up being a large part of and was very important to me for much of my time there. Um, but the faculty advisor brought in this Dean Young poem, and it blew my mind. It, you know, I encourage everyone to go read a Dean Young poem. Um, maybe Frottage is a good one. Um, 
and uh, Myth Mix is a good one if you want to Google those. But just any Dean Young poem will probably do. But there's just um, a tenacity of thought in those poems. Um, and there's a busyness of thought that blew me away that I didn't know we could uh, express in this way. So much of my life had been taught. I had been taught that language was for communication and communication alone. Um, be it uh, talking, to asking God for what you need, telling other people what to do, um, all that kind of stuff. But there's so much more to language now. Obviously, and this was in poetry was my was what uh, broke that understanding open for me. Um, another moment that happened around that same time was I went to a reading uh, at the Ball State Library with uh, Maurice Manning, and who's a hick poet uh, from Kentucky. And it was another one of those, he was reading these poems from bucolics um, with, that are like pastoral poems that are looking, um, that are speaking to a God figure that he calls boss. And again, it's with this wonderment of how things are created and how the higher power makes their decisions and how they're connected with the humans and how they can and how humans are connected with nature and these kind of big universal questions um and that I didn't know we were that people like me from rural settings were allowed to ask in public um and were allowed to holler in public in that way and that that just really enlivened me and so um you know and I had that same feeling that, like, this is something I've been testing with is this idea that these realizations that there's got to be something more to this. And I, I have that a lot um, when nuance is stripped and when um, celebration and curiosity is stripped. Uh, everything feels so flat sometimes in the way we communicate and the way we express ourselves. Um, and But I really remember feeling that... on. On the output end, I was finally you know, there was this time in a in a poetry workshop where I finally brought a poem in uh, that had enough nerve to elicit a real conversation among my classmates and my my teacher and um, the even though the poem was probably not a joyful poem, what it did for me was it gave me a mechanism to send my energy out and that release of energy in and of itself is a joyful act in some ways. Um, but yeah. And so, like I said, I, so the more I went along in my studies and then graduated and moved to Austin and got more involved, you know, I was doing readings and I was hosting readings and I was editing for magazines. I was selling books and I was doing all that stuff. Um, and, I think the the kind of peak of that experience was in 2014 in the spring there was every year there's a uh writers conference called AWP and this that year it was in Seattle and I remember they have this big book fair and all the presses and journals have books for sale and you know they have great deals and it's always exciting they have like stuff that's coming out soon uh, in advance and all that fun stuff. And one of the most joyful moments of my life is I remember me and several friends taking our stack of books that we had bought 
uh, over that long weekend at the conference. And as we were packing up to head home, laying them out uh, on the beds in the hotel room and just marveling at the possibilities that we were all about to discover and knowing that we were going to share some of those books with each other and knowing that we'd bought some of the same books and we're going to share that experience. And even just knowing that alone, I was just going to, there were just so many words and so many new and exciting combos. Uh, and that just really, uh, that, that was the peak, the, the epitome for me of that, time of my life in the poetry community. Um, unfortunately, that didn't last long. Um, I had a psychotic break that same spring in 2014. It wasn't my, certainly wasn't my last one, probably wasn't my first one. Um, and in a blackout, uh, non-alcohol or drug-related blackout, uh, they call them rage attacks and the in the in the literature um with around bipolar i had i uh physically assaulted um uh, my girlfriend at the time um i've talked about this elsewhere this but um but yeah and so that changed my relationship to poetry both within myself and then within the community as she um wrote an essay about her experience in that matter um and kind of in one fell swoop the poetry decided the community had decided they had enough with me um I had also I also at the same time was so out of my mind that I didn't know what I had to offer to anything and so that's when my relationship with poetry changed and it really became this thing uh that I realized I could still do the two things that brought me to poetry that's really uh, exciting idea of poetry is something I put out in relationship with others and also that original flame of the excitement of language and consciousness being used in new uh, and uh, bold ways um, and so you know I released another book and I did it through the barter system where you had to trade me something for it. And I did it, I did that in collaboration with my friend James, who was a visual artist. And that really reconnected me to why I started doing poetry um, for these small group kind of things. I realized we all have something that we give out in our community. Uh, my friend Tim gives me bacon. He's a farmer. Uh, my friend Patty, when my grandpa died, she's a painter, so she painted me a picture. My friends who are parents, they let me play with their kids when I'm sad or when they, uh, when I'm when I'm struggling with the fact that I probably won't ever get to be a father. Um, and and I realized that in this community that I'm I'm back in now, uh, that's very much not a poetry community, not an artistic community in a lot of ways, I can at least share that with my loved ones. And that's kind of what this project is about. Um, and as far as what I'm doing with poetry, I'm just going back to the basics. I'm just re reading poetry um, with such an open heart. Uh, you know, every morning I start my day by reading five poems from whatever book I'm currently in the middle of, um, I, I use poems throughout the day to, uh, 
to rebalance and reground myself. Um, and then I'm just working on some writing projects like this one that it becomes a place where I can, poetry becomes a place where I can put my madness in safe uh, and, uh, for lack of a better term, productive ways. Because, uh, you know, I can't stop being a poet. Um, couldn't if I wanted to. And this is just how the world forged me. Um, and so while I don't have the same relationship to poetry that I did have, and that's been hard to accept at times, um, I also am trying to remember that um, I've been gifted a second chance to have a more base level, more foundational relationship with poetry. Again, maybe one I didn't even really have in the beginning because I got thrown into the community aspect of it so quickly. Um, but yeah, it all goes back to that moment where we were, where, where you look at another person with wonder because of what you just witnessed. And that person might be yourself that I, you know, sitting alone in my house, uh, out here in the country, I might read a poem and be just blown away by it. And I'll catch my reflection in the big picture window uh, and we can share that moment, myself and I. Um, or, you know, I think back to those moments, spreading those books out on the bed, and uh, maybe just picking one up and reading to each other before we pack up all those books. Or I think of the poetry of the world, the way the world makes its own poetry in a flag football game. Um, so yeah, so I'm just thankful uh, to still have a relationship with poetry to be alive, to have a relationship with poetry, um, and, yeah, so thank, so thank you, uh, for, in some ways, in listening to this, being a part of my relationship with poetry, and having your own relationship with poetry through this, maybe this is the only one you have, but anyhow, so let me, uh, give some quick notes about the five poems I'll be reading today. The first poem, To the Barn to Get Something, uh, plays with the same ambiguity between the speakers being sometimes myself, sometimes my grandpa, who uh, the barn of the of the title was the bar his barn that I've inherited, so there's that. Um, Thousand Volt Hummingbird is the second poem, and the title comes from uh, my old friend James, who helped me with my previous book. Uh, this third poem, I have found myself. Um, the last word of this poem is madness. And madness really is the word to describe what I went through the last 10 years. Um, and and is what I've put into this poem is, is, is kind of a madness. Um, I think of K. Redfield Jameson's book, An Unquiet Mind, a memoir of moods and madness. Uh, and in the way she took that in the memoir, I took the moods and madness and put them through this poetry filter. Um, otherwise difficult to render is the fourth poem. And it has, uh, it came from a short lived project that I did with my friend, Jana, where we gave each other images and the person had to write something for that image they received. Uh, and it just kind of revolves around this scary idea of looking at yourself when the self is so distorted and imbalanced. Um, and then the last poem is He Had to Argue. And 
it is kind of about my misdiagnosis that I had for several years where they thought I had dissociative identity disorder, aka multiple personality disorder. And uh, yeah, and then also kind of that, that idea of blacking out and not uh, having being in control uh, and that struggle of the conscious eye to regain control of what the mind and the body is doing. Um, so that is reflected in that poem. All right, enough yapping, poem time. To the barn to get something. Yesterday I strolled out to the barn to get something. The drill, or maybe that pink putty. It turns white when it dries, and the window was black buzzed. Overnight, 300 or more flies birthed in the barn, and then the swarm swarmed the window. Thoughts, these flies, headaches, pandemics, they sweep the psyche, the window, this noggin, this nation. I woke to a nuisance I didn't earn. When I flushed the toilet, the sewage rose. This is what I've become, squatting, shitting in plastic buckets in the garage. Suddenly, it begins to snow. I don't know how to say it, but the cashier at the grocery has begun to harass me, comments on the length of my cucumbers, the girth of the chicken breast I buy for homemade dog food. Today she called me a skank in question form, and even worse, the shelves were still bare of toilet paper matches. Still, I can't blame her, remembering what I said here earlier about thoughts flying, the headache of a pandemic, unknown accident or incident prior. I zip up my coat and move on. Once outside of an alehouse in Muncie, Indiana, someone mentioned last night's Sugarland concert. I said, I heard they really brought the house down. A stupid joke, my goof time cheeking at the tragic collapse of the stage. A guy said, my cousin died in that collapse. Oh fuck, I said, punch me, free of charge. But he refused. Surely countless other accidents and incidents I have forgotten, folks I have disrespected. I have lived a long time, made many moronic maneuvers. Thomas Edison originally believed the phonograph a tool for recording voices, memos to mother, meandering's best-kept secret, though necessary to let fly from the snout. Not songs, no, he declared. Songs are already recorded elsewhere, have to be found. Here's how dumb and pathetic I am. I still take one of my wife's hairpins to clean my earwax, though I know... Lee Gertzden Zhang invented the Q-tip in 1923. Thousand Volt Hummingbird Do not blame me for this Thousand Volt Hummingbird. Despite its appearance in the front yard, it is not spring. Winter begins. A man hollers fuck you over again, pointing at each of his nine lives. Cars passing, passing thoughts. Thousand Volt Hummingbird too close to my parka. I am relieved lately, knowing my head is not some felt satchel cupping the metallic orb of consciousness, but rather, it is yet another object in the litany of existence. The toilet overflows to the hall, brown river of muck, yuck. When I think I give up, the thought occurs to change myself with a jelly bean or two. 
the heart of this thousand-volt hummingbird. It is beating so fast. These thoughts rush in and fade. A hiccup causes pain. I have found myself. Waving at moss, I have found myself. Willow tree outside my window, you were going nuts. I knew it would happen some one day. Every third morning, the cat, she gives a mouse. Answer unclear, what is next? Do I kick it into the grass? Do I pinch it between a doctor bill I will pay never? Do I burn it to ashes and sprinkle the ashes among those wildflowers? How I hope you will me whenever something larger than me, it murders me, then bestows me at the front doorstep of something even larger. I buried it behind the barn as you asked me. I returned to the porch speckled in black moss. The porch was speckled, not me speckled. Though if I stand still, they dot me like sure signs of madness. Otherwise difficult to render. And this has an epigraph by Rainer Maria Rilke. And that is how I have cherished you, deep inside the mirror where you put yourself, far away from all the world. A self-portrait is hardest to locate in a place. Otherwise difficult to render, be it Beijing or the Smoothie King Center, your charming local deli or a dark corner, I am prone to distraction, often via the beautiful or the gruesome or the disappointment, often a thing covered in fur. A frame cannot contain it, the reverberation of the aluminum reflection forced upon me here. I am chased by a sense of deterioration, I am a half-filled human mask, as in, the person I encounter each day will not, has not, will not always be me, or I melt away. That old, dull argument against the ordinary, the opposite of fear, the mirror calls me out of myself, or perhaps it beckons me towards the deepest pit of myself, induces a sort of trance. I peel off the layers of my apparent dome, like rinds tossed in the trash can. A symbol of the poverty of a great raw longing. I know I shouldn't look, but I do. Up against the embarrassing nakedness of living. I am smudged with makeshift habits and blurred desires. I stare into my fish eyes, my little nose, my antiquated teeth, the dent. Oh, to translate my radical deficiency into something else. To swap ordinary living for the spiritual quest. To jot down my dreams each morning. Otherwise I witness and then it is gone. The boundaries of the dream contain an image and whatever else might coincide. Conscious, self-conscious, subconscious, unconscious. Attempting to capture the lesser known qualities of light. My grandmother and I shared more than the genes for diabetes. I am distracted by human relationships. Even with the dead, even with myself. Poorly handled objects scrubbed anew, fresh granola in the cupboard. At the age of eight, I became a pretty little vessel. When the family discovered my ragged inner emptiness, which I would still like nothing more than to fill. He had to argue. I spent today insulting him. He had to argue. I banged on the wall with my ball. I ran into the road. He entertained the thought. 
I carried the smell of whiskey. He wondered aloud if the law had been broken. I distrusted the government. He sympathized with the bug on the windshield. I sliced his thigh, got it over with. He misses driving calmly together. I developed a new tick. I wiped my hands on his pants. He was defeated by time. First, thank you for listening. Thank you to all my friends and family for the visits, phone calls, and correspondences for making sure I stayed alive to finish this manuscript, including, but certainly not limited to, Zach Sadie and the Hunter Boys, Josh Cayley and Violet Lee, Jess Council and her crew, Jason Arnold, Steph Pappy and the Arnold Boys, Tracer Towner and family, Clark Moser, Darren Eaton, Marie Ponce de Leon, Paz Pardo, Enrique Lozano, and Elias, Jonna Henry, and Charlie Martin, Cody Van Buskirk and family, Larry Nutt, Dan Keelish, the Murray family, Jamie Crawford, the Avant family, Jesse Bearden, Matt Spencer, Judd Ferris, Tim and Christina Durr, Gia Murata, Eric Matson. Hannah Margolin, Lacey Patterson, Heather Collier and family, Eric Clough, Lori Sauerborn, Brendan McLean, Melody and Marie Smith, Terry Tan, Morgan Jackman and family, the Tyner and Gobble families. Thank you to the artists that kept me churning during this process slash processing, state champion, Dean Young, Mary Rufel, Landon Caldwell, Anthony Ray Wright, Sarah Shook and the Disarmers, Pete Holmes, C.D. Wright, the Felice Brothers, Maria Bamford, Abraham Smith, Ada Lamone, Francis Picabia, Bill Burr, Will Alexander, Ross Gay, D.A. Powell, Phoebe Bridgers, David Berman, In the Face of War, David Blaine, David Bazan, the creators of King of the Hill, May May Bruce and Bruges, Lucy Brock Broido, John Ashbery, Kenneth Koch, and Frank O'Hara. Thanks to the folks who gave me places to go to be both myself and someone else. The Elwood Disc Golf Enthusiasts, the Anderson Disc Golf Club, Power Barn, the Waking Up app, all the guests and friends of the Future Barn podcast, Bill Simmons and the Ringer Network, in the windmill tavern. Thanks to any mental health professional that has held my wobbly head, both figuratively and literally, over these past decade, especially Ruby Joe Walker. Thank you to my ancestors for the guidance and the gifts, including most recently Fred Tyner and Tony Gobble, and most historically significant Joanne Tyner and Ricky Gobble. Thank you also to my teachers for their guidance and their gifts. Most recently, Ram Das and Sam Harris, and most historically significant, Todd McKinney and Dean Young. Thank you to the most supportive and patient parents around, Jeff and Tammy Gobble, for accepting my many parts. 
Thank you to the light that's gone away, Diana Lynn Small, for the years of loving and the lessons of leaving. Thank you to the light that always stays, Jenny Bug, for being a badass dog.